0: The scripture reading this morning is in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 and following. It's on page 847 in the ESV uh, Bibles in the pew areas. So this is God's word, God's word. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling for you. And throwing off his coat, he sprang up and began and came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. This
1: morning, if you're new with us, we're in a series on Mark's Gospel. Called Jesus the Scandalous Savior. And we come this morning to a particular episode, a particular section of Scripture, which is one of my personal favorites. It's one of the places I like to settle down and really think about what's happening here. And I'm going to invite us to do that over the next couple of Sundays. In fact, Whatever other Bible reading or Bible study you may have going on, I would invite you to take a little time over these next couple of Sundays to just dwell in this passage in particular, see what kinds of things the Holy Spirit would get the highlighter out on and draw your attention to. It's a place that I keep coming back to because it tells me the story of God's astonishing and amazing work in each of our lives. I do believe that there's a kind of misunderstanding that many people have about being a Christian. I think sometimes people think, well, there are average, ordinary Christians, and then there are disciples. There are super Christians. There are the people who are really, really serious about this stuff. And, and, I don't really want to be a disciple. I just want to be an everyday Christian. I want to kind of show up every other month or so. I want to have Jesus as somebody in my life who if I if I have a need, I can go to kind of an emergency break class. But this this whole thing about being a disciple, well I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm not one of those that take this all a little bit too seriously and get a bit overwrought about religious matters. But in fact, the term disciple is what all the followers of Jesus were initially called. In fact, if you read over in the book of Acts about this early Jesus movement, you'll find that it was years later in a Gentile city, Antioch, where it says, and the disciples were first called Christians there. In other words, the term disciple is not about super believers. It's about all of us who would say, we're Christians. In other words, the world looked at those who said, we're Jesus followers, and they said, we can see in your lives what looks like Him. You are Christians. You are those who look like Him, who sound like Him. You're the people who act like Him. And so the challenge before us, especially in the Bible Belt, is to think deeply and seriously about what it really means to be a Jesus follower and not just somebody who goes by a name, Christian. I want to ask you this morning, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you thought about what it means to follow Jesus? Or are you perhaps just trapped in a kind of religious facade that says, I can have the name Christian... But I don't have to take seriously what it means to go after Jesus. I want to draw your attention in that regard to the very last line in this text that Mike has just read to us. Go your way, Jesus says to the blind man, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. He followed him on the way. That's exactly what it means to become a disciple of Jesus. And this text is set in juxtaposition to the text that Casey so beautifully preached for us last Sunday about the rich young ruler, where Jesus says to him, this one who had everything, this rich young ruler, man of resource and power, give up everything you have and come Follow me. And it says he went away sad. He went away sad. This man, this man in this text has nothing. He has nothing. And he gets up and he gladly, joyfully follows Jesus on the road. Where's Jesus going? Well, he's going to Jerusalem. You see, this story is set... Outside Jerusalem, about 18 miles to the north of Jerusalem, about 300 feet below sea level, there was this ancient city called Jericho. The Herodians built a year-round palace there, and it was bedecked with astonishing gardens. Jericho was known as the City of Roses. And there outside the gate was this man, this blind man, He would have been there begging. And what we see in him is who all of us really are. It says that this man's name is called Bartimaeus. But then it says the son of Timaeus. Now, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, is just saying the same thing twice. Because Bartimaeus technically isn't a name at all. It just means Bar, son of Timaeus. And so it says Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. It just says son of Timaeus twice. He doesn't have a name. He's just the son of Timaeus. He's nameless. This is a man with no name. Because in the ancient world... There was no social welfare net to capture those who were needy. And when he was born blind, he was in all likelihood pushed aside, left out, and he'd spent his entire life like that. There was very little that could be done for him medically. And so there he sat, reduced to begging, no family, matter-encrusted eyes, flies swirling around his head, a social outcast in the city of roses. And he hears that Jesus is going by. And he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David. So the man with no name begins to cry out to the person with the name above every name another son of. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, the whole crowd, when they see this happening, want to quiet him down, want to shush him down. I don't want to embarrass you or alarm you, but he was yelling. He's yelling in a big crowd. He's trying to get his attention. Now, Jesus is the anglicized form of that name. Of course, in Hebrew or Aramaic, his name was Yeshua or Joshua. And where are they? They're in Jericho. The last time somebody named Joshua showed up at Jericho, things didn't go especially well for Jericho. Joshua, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, be quiet. Hush. Don't draw attention to yourself, you miserable wretch. This is an important person here. We've got to keep our social standing. Be quiet. And of course, when they told him to be quiet, what did he do? He only cranked up the volume. He got even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And I know I'm yelling right now. And you, some of you are going, ah, come on, calm it down. Bring it, pastor, take it down. I'm only one coffee into this sermon. Please bring it down a little. What are you after here? There was a desperation that was there. You see, what does it mean to follow Jesus? The first thing is this. We recognize, we see our own blindness. We see our own blindness. The rich young ruler had everything. And so he didn't follow. This man had nothing. And so he cried out. It's true that we are often blind to our neighbors or that we are blind to the needs of the culture around us, but the greatest blindness that afflicts every single last one of us is our incapacity to see ourselves as God sees us. If we saw ourselves Through the lens of the Almighty, we would see our brokenness and we would see our belovedness. Because Christ loves the broken. He loves the marginalized. As Jesus Son of David is going by. He hears that cry for mercy. And he says, "Call who's, who's saying that? Call him to me. He jumps up. He goes to Jesus. And he's standing there before him. Jesus singles him out. He brings him near. And Jesus asks him a question. What do you want me to do for you? He says. That might seem like a, an odd question to ask. Jesus, the one who feeds thousands and heals the lepers and the paralytics, has a blind man standing in front of him. And he says to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Well, isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious? But you see, one of the things that we have to own is the broken place in our life. The place of our blindness. Jesus I want to see, he says. I need my sight. Now, only a few verses earlier, Jesus had asked the same question. What do you want me to do for you? He asked that of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want thrones. Isn't that great? We want thrones. What do you want? this morning. I want a Tahoe. That's really what I want. I don't need a Chevy Tahoe. Really. I see them everywhere. I covet them. I think that's what I need if Jesus stands in front of you. What do you need? I need a Tahoe, Lord. We need thrones. Thrones. That's the answer of people who think they are something. This man knew who who he was. Desperate, blind, a beggar. I, I need to see. I need to have my sight back. That's what I need. This is my supreme need. Joshua, son of David... Have mercy on me. I need to see. You see, this Joshua had not come to Jericho to destroy a city. He had come to liberate a captive. This Joshua had come to Jericho to free a man born blind. And that's why he stopped. He had come for that man. He's on his way up to Jerusalem. He's on his way. Well, you you keep reading. The next text is all about him going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He makes the journey on the Jericho Road. There's only one week left now before Jesus will go to the cross. He's on his way to the cross, but Jesus stops for this blind man because he wants to minister to him. Because, friends, one of the things that has to happen for us is to recognize as well in our brokenness our belovedness. Jesus stops to hear the cry for mercy. Have mercy on me. Mercy is a big word. Mercy does not mean simply that we don't receive what we do deserve, though it includes that idea. But mercy is a word that includes the idea that someone steps into the pain and the misery, into the shattered places that are the result of the sin that's occurred and brings healing. Mercy doesn't ask, what have you done? Mercy forgives what's been done and then steps in and brings restoration to the broken place that is there because of what's happened. Have mercy on me. Mercy doesn't ask, how did you get this way? Mercy simply steps up and brings healing because we are this way. You see, you and I keep thinking that we should try to improve ourselves, that if we keep working at it hard enough that we'll get God to a place where he'll give us the thing that we want, that he'll finally love us. We are excellent resume builders, We keep, here's what I've done. This is what I've done. And we carry this through in all of our relationships. If I can just get the right clothes, if I can just live in the right neighborhood, if I can just have the right job, then people will like me. If they knew me as I really was, they wouldn't. I can't really acknowledge my blindness. I can't really acknowledge my brokenness because if I acknowledge my brokenness, I will not be beloved. And we give this to our children as well. Better be doing well in your class. Better be getting good grades. Those GPAs matter. Better be getting good ACTs. If you don't get good ACTs, you're not going to get the scholarship and you won't get into the right university. And if you don't get into the right university, you're not going to get into the right grad school. And if you don't get into the right grad school, you're not going to get into the right career path. And if you don't get into the right career path, you're not going to get the right kind of job and you're going to die and go to hell. (laughs) That's the gospel according to Williamson County right there. Build the resume. Don't let anybody know you're blind. Don't let anybody see the matter encrusting your eyes and the flies around your heart. But he admitted it. And he cried out, I need mercy. Mercy. And he discovered in that moment not somebody who came by and went, how'd you get this way? What did you do? Jesus said, come to me. What do you want me to do for you? And he didn't say thrones. He said, I need to see. You see, he saw Jesus for who he was. He calls out Jesus, son of David. He saw himself, but he saw Jesus. In the news that Jesus was going by, he heard about a person who loved him. And he wanted to know him. And he would be willing to sacrifice anything at all. He tossed aside his coat, the one possession he had in the world, the thing that he would lay out in front of him to hopefully collect a few coins there on that day. He tossed it aside. He tossed whatever coins he may have collected aside. He went up to Jesus because he knew who he was. He was the son of David. He was the one who would come. To bring life. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That gives me no comfort because I am not pure in heart. It turns out I have cardio cataracts All over my soul. And what I really need is for the great physician, the greatest eye surgeon ever to reach into my soul and do something deep inside of me that opens the eyes of my heart so that I could see him. Put yourself in Bartimaeus' broken sandals. The no-name beggar in front of the name above every name. And Jesus says, you're healed. What's the first thing he saw? His eyes opened and he saw Jesus. Can you imagine that? The very first face he'd ever seen was Jesus. Here's the truth. Someday, someday, the eyes of everyone in this room will be closed. Mine will be closed. Yours will be closed. They will be closed in death. And the only question really before us is whose face will we see first? First. When they reopen. And the promise of the gospel is that the first face you see when you step into eternity is the face of Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything else. Christ is the light of the world. He is the one who makes all things believable, beautiful. He's the one that lights up the darkness in the night. He's the only one who can become our true ultimate vision. He's the one who strips away the resumes and says, Don't tell me what you deserve. Tell me what you need. And Jesus is saying to every one of us today who want to be followers of Him, what do you want me to do for you? And the right answer to the question is, Lord, I want to receive my sight. I need to see. I need to see my blindness, my brokenness, and I need to see your beauty. Because I'm going to tell you, friends, If you can just confess your brokenness today, you will discover your belovedness in the eyes of the most beautiful person ever, the Son of God, the Son of David, who says to blind people, come to me and I will heal. Let's pray. Lord, we so arrogantly write our resumes and we lay the weight of resume building on others. We find it so difficult to admit the calluses and cataracts of our own soul. But Lord, we come to you with them this morning and we say with the no-name beggar, to you, the one with the name above every name, we want to receive our sight. Would you have mercy on us, Jesus? Would you say this with me just out loud, all of us together, an old prayer? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Would you pray it with me? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, have that mercy on our hearts today, we pray, and heal us so that the rest of our days we follow you gladly, fixing our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Through Christ our Lord, we pray.